Time to check in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for one of our Tacky Talk podcasts. How are you doing, Tacky? Doing good today, Joe. Uh, happy October 19, and uh, it's a sunny day before we have a rainy weekend. Yeah, of course. <laughs> what else would it be? <laughs> I thought you might have a little preview of your Halloween costume for us today. I do not. Uh, actually, I'm not a huge Halloween fan, personally, to be honest with you, but... Uh... Um, but that's, you know, what also is just what it is. I just have been a Halloween guy. But that, that being said, you know, neighborhoods changed again. I, I can't speak to other folks, but, you know, there are less trick-or-treaters again the last couple of years as um, kids grow up and, and move to college or whatever and waiting for young kids to get old enough to go to trick-or-treat. I know. I've noticed that, too, in my house. Uh, not nearly as popular as it, it used to be. So it's one of our one of the vestiges of childhood that we'll always remember, I guess. <laughs> Well, I did trick or treat as a young child, but I kind of outgrew it uh, very quickly at a young age. And, uh, you know, I did watch the great pumpkin Charlie Brown as a child and <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, um, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, just reminder Halloween safety. I'm sure the Quincy Police Department remind folks, you know, it's a different world we're living in. And you definitely should check, you know, the candies they received uh, from your children. Um, and also probably should confiscate and ration them uh, given the amount of sugar that's involved. Yeah, yeah. So actually, also this time of year, a good reminder, because the sun's setting earlier and earlier, um, you know, safety for pedestrians uh, and and bicyclists uh, out there, too. So be aware of that. Yeah, twilight's setting really quick. And we kind of joked a bit about the weather, but the weather doesn't help. Right. I mean, it's getting cloudier, uh, darker sooner, especially, you know, these, you know, these kind of dreary weekends we've been having. I mean, uh, uh, hearing more cancellations or moving around of events on weekends. And, uh, you know, given the fact the sun sets uh, earlier, plus darker skies, you know, you got to keep an eye out uh, for pedestrians and bikers out there. And uh, Quincy bike lanes are um, a little uh, disconnected in the sense that not all the various lanes are connected. So drivers, you know, if you're not from Quincy, drivers can, can be a little confused about the fact that you know, there's a lane here, there's not a lane here. It's just, it's actually very difficult to do a whole configuration of one sweep. And the city has been implementing it a little bit at a time here and there as they do new construction. And that's the best they can do at, at this moment. But, you know, as the city continues, I suspect, you know, to be more uh, connecting lanes as they move along. Locals, I think, understand where they are. Maybe out of towners, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah. And unfortunately, there have been two recent bicycle fatalities in Quincy. So um, it, it's a real concern for sure. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously, bike safety is very important to all of us. You know, wear a helmet. We definitely get some, uh, you know, basic understanding of how to bike, <laughs> you know, go with traffic, know the basic hand signals. They still require these hand signals for a driving a test. Uh, you know, the, that, that hasn't changed. Uh, actually, did go with my nephew on his driving test uh, about uh, two, three years back, and uh, they required to learn how to do the hand signal still. So, uh, you know, drivers, you know, have to be cautious what's out on the road. And Queens is a very, very busy traffic city. I don't have to tell anybody else that. It's one of the biggest complaints I get when I talk to constituents. Uh, and But, you know, hopefully at the same time, slower traffic means safer bicycles. Hopefully. Yeah, so just to put a little plug in for the uh, the nonprofit group here in Quincy, Quinn Cycles, they do a great job promoting bike safety, and they even offer um, classes for a very minimal fee. Yeah, I strongly encourage people who are regular bikers to definitely get a refresher course. Um, I think I'm not the only one that will say this, but you know, we've encountered bicyclists who, uh, how do you put this, uh, act like their cars. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, the it's it's you're not in the car. So uh, so if you haven't had a, a bicycle lesson refresh regarding road Arusa Road, you know, Quinn Cycles is a great place to reach out to and definitely get a refresher. You're right, it's not very expensive to do. Uh, and it's uh, safety natural for the driver, but also yourself. And you can't just always, you know, assume that the car is in the wrong. Right, exactly. So I remember last week we didn't have a whole lot to talk about, but that has changed uh, significantly over the past week, Techie, at, at Beacon Hill. <laughs> give, it, uh, give it a few days and the wind will change, right? <laughs> this is New England. Just wait for the afternoon. We get a different weather from the morning. That's right. I guess most notably is uh, the discussion about the uh, changes in the the gun laws in Massachusetts. Yeah, for context, folks, I mean, I, I've been around a, a few years, and this is how I know you've been around too long, is when this is actually technically your fourth debate that you've been around for. So uh, as I remind my colleagues at the state, especially the newer ones uh, who are now taking the first real hard votes, you know, I was around for the 97, uh, 96, 97, 98 debates. There was a, a failed gun bill in 97. And uh, in 98 uh, is when we got you know, assault, new assault weapons ban and other clarifications. And then, you know, 15, 16, you know, we had the um, uh, DeLeo uh, did a massive other reform that did things like simplify your uh, FID cards actually fit in your wallet, you know, you know better uh tracing or tracking uh, historical records of private firearm sales among private people. The state system was rather disjointed and actually not helpful. And you know, we, you know, with, you know, we wanted to streamline that because it made sense. I mean, no gun owner wants to find out there's a breaking chain of historical record on, on a firearm sale in case you know, something goes wrong in their firearm, right? So and we do a lot of that stuff. Now, there's been a lot of... Um, challenges explaining what's going on because the bill is very long at 122 pages because they decided to uh, consolidate all the various sections that scatter throughout the general laws into one chapter. So Chairman Day, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, took the Herculean task of consolidating a whole lot of uh, different laws uh, and put them in the same place without actually changing the verbiage other than correct citing of other sections, which isn't very easy. I've done this myself, you know, when I staffed many years ago, when you're looking at, you know, two or three different areas of the of general laws and trying to bring them into an accelerated format where you know that we can find everything in one place. The big key takeaways this this uh, one uh, is regarding ghost guns, uh, you know, making guns at home, especially with 3D printers with no serial numbers and no traceability. You know, we don't want that. Um, we uh, continue to allow government buildings and sensitive areas to not allow firearms in, except for on-duty uh, and now off-duty police officers. And uh, private homeowners now have the uh, ability to say no to guns on their private property. Uh, we've always felt they most likely did, but you're, we're just reinforcing the fact that, you know, as a private homeowner, you should be able to choose who is allowed to bring what to your home. So you don't like the idea of your friend bringing the blowtorch. Uh, you should have the same right to say you shouldn't bring your rifle. Um, and also, we don't, we've don't we alone uh, private buildings. Uh, currently, private buildings can uh, restrict access to folks regarding uh, things that are considered uh, reasonable. So, you know, no shoes, no service, right? No shirt, no service kind of thing. Um, so they can post if they so desire, you know, not to have firearms on premises. Um, 
they don't have to, uh, they can choose to. And uh, again, it is private property and they can, they can do that if it's done reasonably in terms of notification. So you know, other stuff, you know, we codify some stuff that's already been uh, done. For example, in, 19, two, in uh, 2016, um, the assault weapons uh, definition was expanded by the Attorney General to have facsimiles of the same weapon. So even though it may not have the same name, if it's a sufficient facsimile of the assault weapon, then it is an assault weapon that's listed in the law that's banned, that's been banned since 1998. So we codify some of those things and uh, update some of the training issues with the state police to have them you know, oversee some of the police training stuff. Um, I'm sorry, not police training, the firearm training components. And uh, other than that, there's not a lot of major changes. Uh, you know, you're an owner of a firearm. You do not have to go through training again. You do not have to get relicensed. You do not have to surrender any of your weapons. There is no uh, retroactivity. Um, it's all prospective. So it will impact um, perhaps some firearm sales. But a lot of stuff that has been prohibited from sale has been prohibited since 2016 and to the, in 1998. Yeah, I guess one of the uh, one of the areas of confusion, that, according to things that I've read, is um, the status of off-duty but active police officers and what they can do with their service weapons, right? Yeah, we cleaned it up yesterday as part of a budget amendment followed by our friend Mark Cusack from Braintree uh, regarding this issue. Uh, he's been working pretty hard on it for the last week, trying to get some greater clarity. Uh, the police chief's uh, primary and only uh, real issue is that one you just described. And uh, we clarified that uh, off-duty police officers are able to carry you know, a firearm you know, in these sensitive areas. Uh, that was the real question mark. Um, I don't anticipate many police officers carry their service weapon or their private weapon into an elementary school. I'd be very surprised to hear that. Uh, but I mean, I can see circumstances where um, you suddenly called on duty, you were off duty, you're coming off duty, but you're still in the property, but you haven't got off the property yet. I, I can see some little, you know, technicalities. So, you know, we addressed that uh, as a budget amendment yesterday, um, thanks to uh, the work of Mark Cusack from Braintree. And uh, hopefully they'll put that issue to the rest of the police chiefs. Otherwise, the police chiefs really have nothing else to say. That's the only thing of detail they talked about that was a problem. Yep. Um, passed uh, overwhelmingly, but not uh, unanimously, right? No, it's these kind of votes, like many of uh, I consider you know, hard votes, depending on the house regarding taxes and social issues and um, firearms and um, even uh, the budget, uh, depending on where you're on a different parts of political spectrum, both sides, you know, ends up, you know, being a little bit of a mixed vote. And it's a vote largely driven by a geography. Uh, ur uh, urban areas have very different voting patterns than rural areas, which is very different from suburban areas, which is very different from industrial areas versus agricultural areas. Uh, the national legislature is not different from many places where, uh, the geography you come from actually dictate your voting record. And uh, we've talked about this a lot here, right? I mean, we're, we're, uh, the party is not a monolith. Uh, you know, all of us have different constituencies and uh, all of us are aware of what's going on the best we can about what's going at home. Like we're not like, you know, omniscient about what's happening at home, but right. we got to have some clue about what's happening. And, well, you're uh, supposed to represent your constituents, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of how it is. And, 
yeah, we talk about votes where, you know, I don't have an interest in something, but it's important to somebody else. And I vote yes, because does farm aid affect me directly? No. Does it indirectly? Most likely through farmer's markets. But does it have a huge economic impact in my district? The answer is definitely not. But, you know, farm aid is very important to another rep and senator, you know, more agriculture area where, you know, this assistance during the floods we had this summer will make a massive difference in, you know, maintaining their local economy. Right. Yep. And that's why it's called a commonwealth, right? <laughs> it is one of four commonwealths in Massachusetts. I mean, yep. four commonwealths in America. It's, a, it's a, yeah. actually a title in the Constitution. Exactly. Uh, so now it's on to the, the Senate to wait for their version. Is that right? Yeah, uh, we're not sure what's going on. Um, we've heard that uh, the majority leader, Cindy Cream, Senator Cream from Newton, is in charge of consolidating information from the various senators regarding a proposal to put in the Senate. Uh, I've heard already from constituents and pundits like, oh, there was no public hearing in the House, and this deadlock issue with the House and Senate regarding rules has bled over into getting bills admitted. Uh, if you've anyone's talked to me knows my consternation about this issue, and um, obviously I'm among all the members who uh, want to have uh, House and Senate leadership to just kind of like figure this out, please. Um, and if we can, the rest of us can kind of move on on trying to get our stuff done. Uh, so uh, another thing is I don't want to get involved because mm-hmm. it's not it's House Senate leadership, and I'm like I'm not getting in the middle of that. Uh, I got my own work to do, so. You know, we did have a public hearing in a very unusual way. We did that through uh, House Ways and Means. Um, not unusual uh, in the sense that they do have hearing, but very rare, but not unusual. And uh, they use, we use the process through a supplemental budget to um, attach or actually what we call release in part. So we took an existing supplemental budget, took a chunk off the back of it, rewrote it, and then released it from there uh, using the original uh, template from the uh, original bill filed by Rep. Day, Chairman Day, and then um, you know went forward from that point and had a public hearing on the uh, new version that that's being proposed. So it became a very confusing, non-conventional method in the sense that um, you know it didn't go through the joint committee process. But standing committees can have uh, hearings. Oh, I got to back up. A standing committee in our world, in the state house, is a committee that does not have a, a, a counterpart in the Senate that makes it a joint committee. So we, okay. me being a joint committee chair all the time, meaning that my chairmanship requires the Senate to uh, have a co-chair. And uh, for us to do anything requires uh, cooperation uh, and working together with a Senate counterpart and convince Senate members with House members to move a bill forward or stop a bill, change a bill or whatever we're trying to do in a committee. Standing committees don't have that. They don't have uh, a requirement to be part of an ex- of an other committee on the other side. There's no Senate counterpart on Ways and Means, for example. Ways and Means is a standing committee. So as a result of being a standing committee, they don't have what we call joint rules, which run the committee jointly between a senator chair and a house chair. Standing committee only has one chair, a Senate chair in the Senate, a House chair in the House. Mm-hmm. So as a result, the standing committee can make its own rules to operate uh, on its own. Okay, I see. So for me to have committee rules requires my Senate chairman to agree to my committee rules. Right. He wants to change it. He can. You can talk about changes and we try to agree to the same thing. If you're a standing committee in the House, you don't need a Senate chair to agree. Gotcha. Okay, you're an independent body, basically. 
Yeah, if anybody. So as uh, as you can tell, there's always a little bit of jealousy, as you could hear from. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I know this has been a priority for the speaker for for quite a while, so I'm sure he wanted to get it get it done. Yeah, and this and the House members uh, are uh, adamant. We're absolutely adamant about some kind of public hearing process where, you know, in person, where people can see uh, the committee, can uh, come testify, can submit uh, testimony. Um, and whatever documentations they want, and uh, collect feedback from the members uh, based on what we hear from our constituencies, constituencies, and you know, and whatnot. That we can have conversations with the chairs and in the speaker's office, which you know, all of us, including myself, had weighed in at different points the last week about our opinions about one thing or another. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it you know is, and it came out in the debate uh, essentially ten days, well, nine ish. Well, Sort of. I mean, it was a Wednesday vote. It was a Tuesday public hearing. So uh, eight days um, for the public hearing, essentially. And, uh, you know, it's not the first time we've moved bills this quickly. Mm-hmm. So I think people, you know, can say at least we got in daylight. Now, how the Senate handles this, I can't speak to that. I don't know how right. they do this. Um, all I tell you folks is that, you know, police reform. Uh, we did have a public comment period uh, when we did police reform. Uh, the Senate did not. Hmm. Okay, we'll leave that at that. <laughs> that we'll see how uh, Senate leadership decides how to want to manage that. Right. Okay. Oh, and by the way, at the same time, the governor decided it was a great idea to release a four billion dollar housing bond bill. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> we were a little bit preoccupied yesterday, so clearly I've uh, I had a chance to catch up with my own news in the state house. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this was different provisions in there, mostly for low and middle income uh, households from the initial reading that I saw. Yeah, um, this was anticipated in the sense we we were expecting a housing bond bill. I didn't know what was going to be in it. I don't even know what's what's it about yet. I have not a chance to review it. Um, You know, I I don't need to talk about the housing crisis. Everyone knows about the housing crisis. You know, mortgage rates are approaching 8%. You know, uh, home valuations on a national level has gone up 25% almost despite Mortgage rates because of housing shortage. Uh, Massachusetts had its first uh, reduction of home sales since the 08 financial crisis um, and the last set of data, uh, not because of house valuation, but because of supply. Right. Yeah, because prices are still increasing. And if you're sitting on your mortgage between 3 and 5%, uh, you have no incentive to sell your home because the prices aren't going down and the mortgage rates have gone up. That's so, right. Yeah. And then rental market continues to be very tight. I think everybody that's listening knows that. It's uh, market demand uh, drives the price. And, you know, supply and demand, there's not a lot of supply. So there's going to be an increased demand and that's going to drive prices higher. It's it's economics 101. <laughs> I agree. And that's kind of part of the, the challenge here uh, with this. Um you know, obviously, the increase of housing stock for moderate low income folks is a big deal. We didn't, you know, tax package, you know, increase the rental deduction um, that will help out a little bit. You know, and also we have dependents, mm-hmm. uh, children and dependents. We increase those credits a little bit too. And of course, if we have a, a senior citizen that qualifies for the senior citizen circuit breaker, that helps out as well. Um, but overall, I mean, the question is about housing stock and. Uh, you know, a lot of it's left to private development. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. The public uh, part of the bill that I read, it also includes incentives to refurbish the public housing that the state already has is like 43,000 units. And a lot of them need renovations and a lot of them are still vacant. Well, the kind of vacant kind of that is very confusing. So mm. as I said over the years representing um, a state housing, because I have Germantown's part of the district, mm. uh, just because units vacant doesn't mean the unit's habitable. Ah, okay. That's what I learned over the years. And this is kind of like a tricky thing in the press because they always love the good press hit. You know, the question is why is inhabitable as well right. is vacant? So I give Jim Rath some credit here, you know, when he came into the housing authority, because one of the things that was when they, he audited actually the housing authority worked for the state at the time. One of the conditions of the property at, in Germantown was the just basically no maintenance investment by all prior directors, it seems, for going back like 25 years. Um, and complete mismanagement of the of the systems ranging from housing, uh, heating, mm -hmm. all the way to uh, roofs and floors. I mean, it was just complete, total uh, neglect, including, you know, I think some of the area of almost 50 units that were considered uninhabitable. That sounds right, yeah. So, uh, you know... This is a big deal. Uh, and my understanding also is that all the units in Germantown are no longer uh, all state run, I believe, if not almost all. There's uh, very few federal ones. So it was actually very quirky because Quincy's one of those places that had for a long time a federal and a state component on public mm -hmm. housing, which meant that you couldn't put state money in federal housing, federal, federal money in state housing or segregated, which made it much more difficult to manage when you think about it carefully. And also created problems for residents because residency one unit getting something and the other one not yeah because they don't know the difference between a federal unit and a state unit right and they they shouldn't have to yeah absolutely yeah so i mean that's just the reality so i believe they unified if most if not all of the units into a state housing component so you know any additional funding we can get towards you know, public housing will help you know ensure that we'll have 100 percent capacity uh which also is a bad thing by the way um and also you know keep him up to code uh, so there's no safety issues. Uh, and that includes senior housing too, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, got blown off in O'Brien Towers down in Germantown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just ripped right off. And, you know, obviously they're insured and you know, they, they, you know, got temporary and they're pursuing, you know, recovery from the previous installer and all that. But, I mean, you know, a lot of that money started off on various grants and loans and whatnot that, you know, Jim Rathis was able to find and cobble together to make things happen. Same with the heating systems and, I mean, they were using stuff, you know, from the day one of building construction that is just inefficient and antiquated. And he's done a massive yeah. job. Yeah, he's definitely turned the whole system around for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Infra poor home infrastructure just leads to, you know, poor quality of life. So, um, listen, I got to dig into it a bit more, see what's going on. Um, you know, the housing market's wacky, as you just heard. Mm. And uh, the question is, you know, will private developers change their tune and how they develop? Because as their uh, current loans uh, are being consumed by con completing construction, so, you know, will they seek new loans or you know, other financing um, to uh, build new construction? Because, like, you know, if you're getting a loan at 8%, it changes how you want to do uh, your project. Right. But so you go to private market, not bank. Private market generally will ask a higher rate of return than interest rates because of risk level. So you go you decide to go to a private investor, the market won't have 
Exactly. Yeah. So it may discourage you from even starting a project, you know, or if not, at least seriously downsizing it. Uh, absolutely. And then, you know, you know, all the construction materials and everything's not cheap either now. So, yeah. you know, labor is expensive now um, in a market driven level. It's gone up by the market driven level for, uh, for labor. So all those factor in, which is not going to help affordability. Right. Exactly. So it's a real challenge and it's and there's no easy fix and it's going to be a while, I think. Agreed. Uh, we're into uh, our third administration regarding housing challenges. Uh, both the Baker and the Deval Patrick administration believe the private sector development can develop our way out of this. Clearly not. Um, so I don't know what it, what their plan is. Um, I do have some confidence in Ed Augustus, who's a former state senator that, oddly enough, worked down the hall from me back in the old days. Huh. Yeah, I know. It's one big wheel in my life. <laughs> um you know, he was a very successful city manager in Worcester. Um, yeah, city for those of us who never come from a place as a manager, you know, some places have strong city councils and they hire a city manager, mm-hmm. much like in a small town or town manager. And uh, that's a thankless job to chew uh, in the sense that you know the council, the whole council is now your boss. Right. Think about it for a second, and <laughs> not just one, all of them, and uh, you're not uh, an elected official, so your authority is kind of constrained by the city charter in a different way. And uh, but on the flip side, you know, it's a contract, so you know you're guaranteed a job. Yeah, guaranteed a job for at least a specific time frame. Until the contract, right? Exactly. And they got to negotiate with a city council for your next continuation of contract. So. You know, uh, I, I know town government does this with board of selectmen, but, you know, they're like three or five board of selectmen, right? You get to a city, you know, you could be upwards of 13, you know, well, plus. Well, look at Boston, right, yeah. Yeah, 13, 15, you know, counselors all, you know, with the various issues. So, um, yeah, I think given his experience already in the state Senate, he worked in Congress for Jim McGovern, uh, and he, uh, you know, managed uh, the second biggest city in New England, which is Worcester. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think uh, he's well equipped uh, to try to uh, attack the housing situation. I don't know if he has an answer or anything, but you know, I have a lot of confidence in Ed's capacity to do stuff, as you can tell. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. And you know, you talk about labor; um, the unemployment rate is still very, very low. It's very low. Uh, the initial jobless claims are still are higher, but not very high. Continuing right. uh, claims is steady meaning it's not really going up. It's not really going down. It's just that it, when it's steady, it means it's just a, it's a rotation. Mm-hmm. People constantly be able to find work and constantly coming on and getting work quickly. And a new job creation, you know, was double than Wall Street expectations. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, folks. It's just, it, it's got to continue. Wage growth has not spiked at 4%. It's come down below 1% on wage growth in most sectors. Um, so the wage inflation still continues as part of oil inflation. And core, uh, core uh, CPI is higher than CPI. So core CPI was a 4.1 and CPI was a 3.9. So core CPI is the price of everything minus food and uh, food and energy. You take a food and energy, it's actually higher than if you had food and energy in the calculation. Right. I mean, this is totally, totally wacky. It's Well, it is backwards from what you'd expect it to be right now. Right, exactly, yeah. And none of our dollars are stretching as far as it um, should. And uh, Europe's technically in a recession still, mm-hmm. but they're also having massive inflation at the same time. Uh, and uh, China is trying to avoid deflation. 
at this point. They missed their CPI numbers because in their case, growth is good because you know the consumer market helps all of us. Uh, you know, a lot of U.S. businesses export to China and vice versa. And, um, you know, other other major economies are kind of in the same boat we're in. Uh, but, you know, we've obviously and strangely managed it somewhat better. You know, places in Europe are still looking at inflation between 7 and 10%, mm-hmm. depending what month you're looking at. Um, places like Turkey is well into double digits. Um, big parts of South America like Brazil and Mexico um, and Central America you know, still facing, you know, very high inflation rates for, for economies not as strong as, you know, the U.S. and the U. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, tragedies and the horrors in the Middle East with um, Israeli, uh, past, well, really, really Hamas, let's call it, it's Hamas conflict. Plus, you got the war in Ukraine and other instabilities around the world we've talked about many times now. Um, you know, it does affect global energy markets. And I think Joe Biden, you know, the president's talking about, you know, releasing some of the restrictions of Venezuela to try to open up more oil access here. Um, and the U.S. is still one of the biggest producers of oil, but not all the oil is sold in the U.S. It's sold out of the U.S. too. Uh, it's contractual. Mm-hmm. It isn't like, you know, an oil company decides tomorrow morning is going to change its customers. I mean, these are all right. long facts. Yeah, it's going it's to present a real challenge for the Fed at their next meeting and, and, and what interest rates do for the future. Well, uh, yeah, the, the the interest rate clearly is taking itself in the sense that you know we're creeping into eight percent zone of mortgages, and uh, the market uh, is all weird because it doesn't know what sector is interesting. I mean, you don't know if the utility energy sector versus you know tech sector versus food versus retail. The whole thing is just inconsistent, and um, you know the bond market's very strong. We talked about this in the past about savings accounts and rates, right? I mean, at some point. You know, smaller banks are going to have a real issue because people are realizing their savings uh, is not generating any kind of savings. Right. They're going to move their computer to electronically transfer someplace else uh, their money, uh, whether it be into another bank that's offering uh, FDI, FDIC insured, very important, FDIC insured or equivalent if you're a credit union a bank, or they go into money market and uh, treasuries. Mm-hmm. And buy U.S. Treasuries, which is the safest commodity on the planet, is the U.S. Treasury. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, as we kind of continue on the path here on the fact that student loan debt forgiveness, suspension, whatever, uh, from the feds has ended in October, we'll see the impacts of that in the data sets um, from October, November. We won't see those data sets to January. Uh, you know, people are definitely slowing down buying cars and, and homes. Uh, your credit card is a trillion dollar debt collectively around the country. Uh, but people, consumer spending uh, exceeded um, expectations by a very wide margin in the data sets this month. A very wide margin. But consumer confidence is really low. It's very strange. It really is. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the pie has been sliced up in so many different little slivers. It's just hard to get an overall picture of what the economy is doing right now. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the Chicago Fed Reserve does consumer surveys every month. That's where the data comes from and uh, on a national level. And uh, consumer confidence ain't that hot. It's like 63%. I mean, you know, you want to be in like the 70s, low 80s. That's generally considered healthy, right? Uh, consumer confidence. Getting to over 100 is very unusual because, you know, something's got to be really great to have that happen. But, I mean, your consumer confidence is a 63, but your spending is exceeding expectations, 
And uh, saving accounts are being dwindled, but apparently there's still enough money out there. So where's that money? So what I'm guessing happening is this, is the bank data is not good for us anymore. So the banks report collectively all the data to the feds in terms of how much deposits they're in their banks as a collective. And it gives us a clue as, as you know, how much money, you know, collectively we all have. And obviously if you're really wealthy, you have more than people that aren't right. They make up the bulk of the savings. What I think is happening is people moved into the, into treasuries and money markets. Um, both people with a lot of means and also middle income and upper middle income flows is most likely move the money into a non-bank account. Mm-hmm. That's why I say that small banks could be in deep, deep trouble because if you don't have enough deposits, you can't pay your, uh, you know, you can't pay uh, the interest on your depositors. And, you know, and if the, well, and since your loans are outstanding out there, it's much lower. They're getting loans back at two, 3%. But if your expectation is to pay a CD or checking account at minimum 4%, you want to get in back, you know, two or 3% interest on your loans. And no one's buying new loans because you have to give them out at seven, 8%. Right. Yeah, you guys can see the problem, right? Because your interest rates are tied to the loans that are issued by the bank because they get a cut of the action on, on the loan return. But for so long, lo- interest rates are so low, the banks can maintain higher margins on the, on the return on investment. This is not just Bank of America. This is you know, little banks and credit unions at home too. Mm-hmm. So generally, smaller banks are very low risk adverse. I mean, they won't give loans unless they have incredible credit and amount of ability to pay back but also limits the size of the pool of those issued loans, which limits the size of your depositors. You know, right. so, you, you know, you don't have big, a lot of depositors. You can't give a lot of loans. It's really simple. You can't have more going out than is coming in and stay solvent. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really think unless something changes uh, or these smaller banks come up with something soon, you know, first half of 2024 could be a real crisis for small banks and credit unions. Yeah, there could be a lot more, well, mergers and consolidations like we saw in the past. Agreed. I mean, that's when I mean, we saw that in uh, 08 to 10, mm-hmm. right? You, you know, from 2008, 2010, there was a lot of consolidations, mergers, uh, as small banks couldn't keep up. And, you know, either a lot of small banks had to get together or a mid-sized regional bank would come in and, you know, take them over. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, do I think it'd be a banking crisis in terms of like 2008, 2010? I don't think so. Do I think there'd be some distress in different parts of the country? The answer is yes. Yeah. But again, FDA insured folks, make sure your stuff is FDIC insured. It's been proven already. It works. Um, and don't keep more than a quarter million dollars in one place per right. person. Yeah. Great advice. Absolutely. Um, can we talk a bit about uh, the MBTA techie? Do I have to? <laughs> I knew I'd get that response from you. <laughs> At some point in the future, there's going to be an announcement uh, about a new Quincy Center station, uh, supposedly today, but I'm guessing sometime soon. Um, is it is it funded? Has, has the state already provided funding? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, this is the first of me hearing this press conference, so I don't idea. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. Um, you know that the city of Quincy was designated a transportation bond bill many, many, many moons ago now as the uh, master designer uh, for uh, Quincy Center T. Um, I'm aware they're doing a Quincy Center T station at a food development level could cost a billion dollars of public money. Really? Uh, unless you have a public-private partnership. But even then, a public-private partnership, I mean, building in or around rail um, is not easy. Um, uh, people don't People are unhappy with service disruptions. The last thing I want to hear is a development that even causes more service disruptions. Okay. Right. 
Uh, let's be frank, people. I mean, I've already got enough anger uh, coming my way on uh, the current situation. Uh, I oh, have, right. Yeah, I have no interest in more anger uh, <laughs> caused from disruptions from a development project. Um, obviously, mixed use makes no sense. I mean, so-called smart growth means you build things like you see at the Abbey, where you have uh, private housing with some small commercial development on the first floor uh, to uh, hopefully allow folks that um, starter apartments, essentially, you know, public transit, people have, you know, a lot of money uh, to get to work easily. Um, unfortunately, the Vol Patrick's idea, that's where this came from, uh, didn't work. It created the opposite effect. Uh, what people used to want to live near the loud train tracks became more valuable property because people want to live close to public transit. And as a result, rents went up near closer you got to public transit. Used to be uh, my young days, uh, if it's too loud, why am I paying for noise? Well, right. I mean, we saw that along the uh, the old colony line when they wanted to restart Greenbush. Yeah, and everyone along the Orange Line. When, I'm still enough from when the Orange Line was an overpass. That's right. Yeah. You know, it was not in the ground. I remember those, uh, the Orange Line rail. So, you know, but rental prices, you know, were not surprisingly tied to noise. Uh, and that's not the case anymore. So I don't know what's going on. Hopefully I'll find out what's going on at some point. I do represent the uh, the area as part of my district. I am very concerned about it. Um, but the other one, you know, other big issue that needs to be addressed right away from Senator T is the parking issue. Yes. For sure. The garage is gone, so it's very limited now. Yeah, and it puts a lot of stress in Braintree, uh, Quincy Adams, Wallace, and North Quincy. So, I mean, whatever happens is going to need a substantial amount of parking and a safety traffic pattern associated parking and perhaps move the, the bus uh, drop-off, pick-up spots as part of a new parking component um, to try to see if we can get better traffic pattern in that area as, as the downtown continues to develop. So, you know, uh, Obviously, I would think my personal opinion is so parking would be the first priority. You got to get that settled in first before you can do any kind of development. What's going on around it? Because you know, I obviously there are neighbors that live near there. I mean, people always don't want parking in the streets, but it's not like living in Wallston, where uh, you know you can do a lot of residential parking and try to go to the T. Yeah, it's more in a neighborhood there, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, and then you know, what's determining what the parking is regarding public transit access parking. You know, we'll, we'll hopefully drive uh, what the rest of development will look like. Um, but yeah, I mean, depending on the scope of the project, it could be a billion dollars. Um, and we talked about interest rates earlier, right? You know, and uh, I don't, uh, I don't know how it worked because the T has its own independent bonding from the state. Mm -hmm. They're not on my books, so to speak. There are uh, the T's on its own books regarding um, uh, uh, bonds, so they don't affect the state's credit rating. They have their own. So, you know, as we talked about $4 billion for housing right now, I suspect there'll be a capital improvement bond on that year for, for public buildings, uh, state owned buildings. And then, you know, some may be another transportation bond bill, maybe not. We'll see, we'll see how far we get. And we do have a bond cap. The state does have a um, self-imposed limit on how much they can borrow per year it's you know well uh i think it's a low two bands now i keep losing track of these numbers they're all tied to cpi that's why because i don't know what they keep changing on me and then we also have an over a bond cap statewide projects which is um basically uh also tied to cpi and it's generally about 20 billion dollars against a you know budget of close to 60 billion dollar budget so you know we do have a lot of mechanisms so we only can borrow so much out ourselves so 
a federal component is probably going to be required as well as a private sector component. Right. Okay. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I, I, I don't have a better answer for you. What's coming up uh, later on this month we should know about? Um, uh, there's uh, my brother's uh, church, uh, Baptist, has a Baptist church block party they try to put together this Saturday. Hopefully the rain doesn't deter them. Um, you know, Grackles at Dan Hacker. Uh, he was uh, Democrat of the Year. That was this past Sunday. So we said hi to that. Um, I did get my notice from Maryland about more rain out, unfortunately. Opportunities, uh, having a tough time with the neighbors getting together. But what else is going on? Um, Dove is later. I think Dove is this month. They have their, It's Friday uh, night, actually. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you can't go to the your fundraiser, you know, please consider giving a couple of bucks to Dove. You know, domestic violence ended. It's our local domestic violence shelter. If you, you know, unable to you know, attend, just you know, drop a couple of bucks. You know, they can use it uh, for good causes as well. Um, what else? I can't keep track. Um, like the Chinese Consolidated Benevolent Association in Chinatown had the 100 year anniversary uh, uh, party last night. Obviously, I couldn't go. I was uh, in the state house in debate. Um, to the early evening. So, um, congratulations to a 100 year organization uh, that's been serving Chinatown, the greater uh, Chinese community. Um, what else is going on? This guy's out of track of everything. <laughs> uh, the Quincy Symphony has a fall classical music concert on Sunday at Quincy High School. So, that's something folks can enjoy, regardless of the weather, which is kind of nice. <laughs> uh, indoors, good. Uh, yes. And uh, what else? Um, Again, you guys all know I like encourage vaccination. You know, I think distribution systems starting to settle down. It takes a few weeks for it to activate. Uh, heading to the indoor season, like the concert, I definitely consider you know looking to do that. You know, I'm vaccinated. My mom's been vaccinated. Um, especially my mom's poor health. Uh, it's crucial in my case. Um, and uh, if you're not comfortable, you know, definitely consider masking up in contained areas. Um, uh, because you know it's, we're we're hitting that part of the year. It's not not just COVID, folks. It's also the flu uh, and the RSV. Um, RSV. RV, yep, RV. that's right. You got it. Yeah, I, keep in, I don't know too many letters, but I mean, also you know, just generally speaking, the common code and the flu is floating around. I mean, if you're not uh, concerned about COVID, uh, the flu has always been part of our lives. So, I mean, not just get a flu shot, but you know, mask. You know, hygiene, um, you know, can reduce the possibility of getting the flu. Flu is, you know, is equally miserable. I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, just you know, if you if you if there's if there's ways for you to keep from getting sick, why not do it? <laughs> Absolutely, uh, strongly encouraged. So, again, I mean, if don't you want to get vaccinated? I get it. You know, just saying. You know, I do encourage it, but you know, mask hygiene. Keeping a distance you know, is is, uh, is also a way to help reduce the possibility of getting sick. Yeah, exactly. All righty. Uh, points of contact time, Techie. Yeah, we're we're still in the office. Uh, 617-722-2370. 617-722-2370 is the phone number. We've got Tacky, T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-A-N and M-A-House dot G-O-V. T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-A-N and M-A-House dot G-O-V. Um, I have a Facebook account, State Representative Tacky Chan. We have the resource page at tackychan.org.org. 
mlegislature.gov is the state website uh, for the legislature, mlegislature.gov. Again, you want to track a bill down, you don't need to call me. You can find it there yourself. It is live updated at the same time my computer system internally is live updated. Um, and uh, you can watch our public hearings, uh, you know, maintain the fact that, you know, the internet can see us. Uh, although it was funny, we had a, a hearing on Monday and the microphones didn't work for the first time. Oh, no. Yes, the switchboard was having problems. We're talking dead air because I'm watching the screen as my co-chair uh, is doing the hearing and I'm looking at the screen like, you know, tapping on the shoulder, like, I think we got a problem. Oh. So, <laughs> it's great when it works, but when it doesn't, it's frustrating. Oh, it, it can be frustrating. I'm sure you all wait a bated breath to see me <laughs> on the internet. Uh, but it was like, it was like, it was like we, need a, we need to stop this hearing for a second because we've got to get this stuff fixed. Yes. Um. And of course, you know, QA TV, Joe Calano, first thing in the morning, you can catch his podcast uh, on the quick updates in Quincy News. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, this podcast and YouTube and QA TV is a great place to see not necessarily just me, but, you know, local happenings, uh, including things like the city council meetings and, um, you know, the mayor's race and uh, another local leaders talking about important things to them in the neighborhoods that you all should know. By the way, um, Kevin Coffin from the Montclair Wollaston Neighborhood Association wanted to give you a huge thank you for supporting their Pumpkin Spice Festival. I hope it doesn't rain too hard on them. <laughs> oh, they already had it. It went off fine. <laughs> oh, did it? See, this is how bad my life has gotten. <laughs> I can't keep track of anything. So, yeah, Kevin was very grateful for your support. Oh, Kevin's an old friend. He's a very old friend. Again, when my well, digressing again, as we always do in the show, my, my first real campaign at work was Kevin Coffin's school committee race way back when wow yeah it was you know it was a small operation but uh unfortunately we didn't get the result we wanted <laughs> but it was still um it was a lot of fun and yeah. uh, it was a very educate good education on on a ground game based campaign and uh before you had cell phones before you had any kind of internet technology before you had any of this data mining you do on the internet uh, for campaigns. Uh, that was a very old fashioned um, education. And uh, you know, I brought those things to my campaign in 210, a lot of those lessons, as well as many lessons on many other people's campaigns. And you know, I still hold on to those lessons from, from uh, 25 plus years ago um, on that first campaign. So yeah. <laughs> it worked, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jackie. <laughs> you too. Take care. We'll see you in a week's time.